Business and Buckets fam, we are live, episode 35, back in what I call the lab, in the studio, in my two-bedroom apartment on Alki Beach. It's a beautiful 75-degree, little bit of overcast day, and boy, does it feel good coming back from Montana that was never below 90 degrees, ended up being smokier than all hell, so it feels good to be back, and one of the things that you, I don't want to say take for granted, but... Just coming back, getting back into my routine, staying hydrated, not drinking, going crazy on the weekends, you know, getting up, going to the gym, doing my job, doing the podcast, just sticking in that routine. Just I feel pure. I feel good because two weeks is a long damn time. But let's dive in. We got a loaded show today. Obviously, UFC action, some NFL headlines, NBA finals, a lot of fun stuff to talk about. But as you guys know, we have to start with the best in the biz. We got fueled supplements. So health is wealth. Keep your immune system strong. Reduce cortisol. Detoxify your body on a cellular level. And relieve chronic joint pain. And increase your overall energy and vitality with fueled supplements wellness products. Fueled multivitamins and fueled greens is the immunity combo your body needs to be and stay at your best, especially in times like today. You can always make more money but you can't always get back your health. Start today and save a little cash when you invest on yourself and your future by using promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off all supplements at fueledsupplements.com, the best place on the web for sports and wellness products. Shout out Josh Morin. Shout out Field Supplements Squad. Appreciate you guys keeping the lights on here on Business and Buckets. But let's talk NFL. Some interesting headlines uh, if you guys care about COVID, you keep track of the vaccines and all the drama and political guardian that's going on. Some interesting headlines that have happened, like Rich Eisen getting COVID after being double vaxxed with the Pfizer vaccine. So people still getting COVID, these new strains, no one really knows what's going on. Uh, you know, shout out Rich Eisen, get healthy, heal up. Um, probably the craziest headline, and as a you know, non-pro Tom Brady fan. It's just like, oh, it's it's the meme on Anchorman where he's like, I really, really hate you, but God damn, I respect you. So it comes out that Tom Brady played the entire season last year, first year with the Buccaneers, first year out of the Patriots system, fucking Super Bowl champion with a partially torn MCL. So the partially torn MCLs and ligaments, for me, I've never experienced that, so I don't know how to speak too much into it, but I fully torn my MCL, and it's not fun. I couldn't play football, and I couldn't imagine being a quarterback in the NFL with the DNs that are out there coming at you, and it just gives me so much more respect, um, you know, whether it's partially torn or torn the whole season, that's bonkers. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if that helps him with his play this year. Uh, but goddamn, the man just keeps doing things that not most people do, and he keeps winning. So bravo, bravo, Mr. Tom Brady. Uh, Richard Sherman going through some stuff here in Seattle. He's, I guess, still living in Seattle. He's a free agent, hasn't signed with anyone. You know, he's in his 30s. He's had his heydays with the, the 49ers and the Seahawks. And this 911 call came out about... You know, him trying to commit suicide, drinking bottles, lots of crazy drama. You know, he tweeted, said he's going to get his mind right, get things right to see if he'll be signed with the team, you know, to be determined. 
But for me, you know, it's just weird that this happened to Richard Sherman, the Stanford grad. Every, everything's looked good for, with him throughout his course of time. This happens. And then the 911 dispatcher, what a coont. I mean, she's just like being aggressive with the girl on the phone, like just totally not professional. It seems like she ended up getting fired anyways. You know, I don't follow this type of news too much. So, you know, don't kill the messenger, but uh, definitely check it out. It's on the web, you know, went viral. Uh, what a shit show of a situation. Hopefully everything is okay. And we do get to see Richard Sherman play because I know that he still has some football left in him. And then the Pittsburgh Steelers making some splashes. As you all know, David DeCastro potentially retiring and anyway, getting cut by the Steelers, having some ankle injuries, freed up some cap space. They go out and replaced Bud Dupree with Melvin Ingram. You got TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith, and Ingram on the other side. That's going to be a lot of fun to a very high-level defense, and they do still have some money to spend, so we'll see if if some other moves happen. I know Malik Hooker is a potential in the in the secondary for them. Um, there's been some rumors of some other linemen, but yeah. Uh, as a Steelers fan, I'm hyped to see Melvin Ingram in some black and yellow. I feel like our scheme fits what he does well perfectly. And you get to play opposite TJ Watt. Anyone could, you know, do decently there. Uh, the Manning brothers announcing Monday night football alternative games on ESPN two. I'm not going to lie. I'll probably tune into that. I will probably like that. than the new booth on Monday night football. And I'm excited. The Manning brothers are a lot of fun. I see they have like this college bowl or something on CBS or ABC, one of the local channels that I haven't tuned into yet, but these guys are must see TV. Um, I, I wouldn't be so surprised if the rankings do well, if they want to stay in Monday night football, maybe they get that full-time job. Uh, Cam Akers tears his a not his ACL, his Achilles for the Los Angeles Rams. Still getting used to saying that. A brutal loss for them. I know this was a guy that was highly regarded in fantasy this year. Came on strong. I had him last year. Uh, I had a mix of the Rams running backs towards the end of the year off waiver wires. And this guy looked like to be almost a bell cow back. I know that Sean McVay and Matt Stafford, very excited. Uh, bummer for them. They still have Darrell Henderson and some other players, though. I believe his name is Xavier Jones. So supposedly they're not in the market for a running back, maybe a veteran, uh, but tough break for the Los Angeles Rams. I know they were probably my Super Bowl favorite without really diving in. The Chiefs also re-sign uh, re Alex Okafer, um, edge rusher for the Chiefs, you know, pretty much just keeping their players. They were just a few linemen away from potentially winning the Super Bowl. They have those linemen. They keep Okafer. So, yeah, uh, more moves for the bad-ass Kansas City Chiefs. And then we're in the Broncos quarterback battle between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater might last all of preseason. So uh, it seems like this is going to be a tight race all the way to the end. I'm interested to see who comes out on top of this. I have a feeling that Teddy Bridgewater will. Uh, he's resilient. He's been through the situation. I don't know if um, Drew Locke's really had some competition there in Denver. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Either way, I'm not too high on the ceilings of either guy. They have a stable of receivers, though. Uh, the Bucks visit the White House this week. Tom Brady, um, Bruce Arians, and, and crew seeing Mr. Joe Biden on the Super Bowl celebration. So good to see NFL teams back in the White House post-Trump uh, days. And then Aaron Rodgers supposedly or reportedly said no to the Packers deal to have him the highest-paid QB in NFL. And that just shows this is more than just money, politics, you know, situations at hand. He wants out.
but I just don't see him not playing for the Packers this year. If you didn't tune into last week's episode, I got to be in Montana in the studio with my good friend Nick Christensen. Got a banter sports, which is nice versus you guys just having me talk the whole time. And I enjoy the banter, looking to do more of that as this podcast evolves. Uh, but we talked about Aaron Rodgers, and I just don't see him not playing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And then Fred Warner, big extension. My guy Fred, I love watching Fred play football. Five million or five years, ninety-five million dollar extension at linebacker, which is quite high. And they gave him forty and a half guaranteed. So about half of that guaranteed. Bravo, Fred. You're well deserving of that. And hopefully that gives opportunities for more linebackers to get some paydays as well. You know, inside linebacker just kind of a I don't know, a dying position, not as highly touted. I mean, KJ Wright's a free agent for crime and he sakes. And that's it in the NFL world, right? Short and simple. Hard knocks is going to be happening soon. We have 50 days until football preseason. I'll be talking all about it because I am an NFL nerd. If you guys tune in at the day one, you know, the OG days of business and buckets. First of all, thank you. You guys are the real MVPs. But also, I got to start with the NFL playoffs. And you can see how far I dove into that a lot further than basketball and other sports because I think that's what the people want. That's what I want to hear if I were tuning into sports. Uh, and I cannot wait to give my preseason predictions. I can't wait to talk, you know, hypotheticals, fantasy, whatever we want to talk about, which reminds me, don't forget, if you guys enjoy the podcast or tuning in, add to the comments, right? Like, share, get some other people in there. Let's get some banter back and forth. I'll talk shit in the comments as well. If you have topics, you can email me, DM on any social platforms, I'm more than open to have a nice fan base we can engage with because that's the whole idea, right? I'm sick of the ESPNs. There's a lot of shit that I can't watch anymore in the sports world. It's all too dramatic and political. I'd rather have someone that knows what the hell they're talking about and they just talk about the past week in sports or what's going on and provide these updates and I can engage with them, right? Imagine being able to go to Colin Cowherd and like, hey, I'd love for you to talk about this. He's able to talk about that. That's what this is all about. But we're going to talk UFC. Lots of headlines. We'll preview UFC uh, at the Apex and then the, the one coming up. We'll recap last week's and the one coming up. And TJ Dillashaw's long-awaited return to the UFC. So, headlines. <clears throat> Lauren Murphy getting an opportunity to fight the bullet Valentina Shevchenko for the title. This one did catch me a little uh, off, a little surprised. Um, but Valentina's cleaned house with that whole division. Lauren has, you know, proved her point, made her case, and what a great story with her, you know, overcoming drug addiction. Reminds me of Court McGee, the ultimate fighter winner. You know, she's dedicated her life to this sport now, and, you know, she started later, but she is a solid fighter. But, you know, Valentina is just one of those women that you don't want to fuck with. So we'll dive into that fight when the time comes, but awesome to see that she gets the opportunity to have that you know, share the octagon for a title. In Ultimate Fighter news, I didn't get a cover last week's episode or this week. Today is Wednesday, July 21st. I'll be posting this later today. Um, nice having good internet, by the way. Uploading videos in Montana, 4K video. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't a lot of fun. So I'm glad to have gig internet, you know, have the iMac, get everything cranked out for you guys. Uh, but on last week's Ultimate Fighter, uh, surprisingly that fight went three rounds. I didn't think it necessarily needed to go three rounds. I thought Brady Heisted had won the fight. 
Um, you know, he was looking for takedowns. His older uh, teammate from Spokane was looking to keep it on their feet. Didn't really last. Brady definitely got exhausted, and the older gentleman was landing some bows, did some damage. But when you take him down, you have control time almost the whole fight. It's hard to do that. But I think because he wasn't very dominant in the top position, they earned, they gave him that third round. And it was a fun fight regardless. Uh, but Brady Heisted, the young buck, I believe he's 23. He trains with Michael Chiesa. Michael Chiesa speaks highly of him. But it sucks they had to fight each other, both from Spokane and the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, but yeah, interesting fight. Uh, Heisted, it'll be interesting to see how he does from here on out. And then they moved back up to the middleweights. Uh, Brian Ortega's guy having to pull out with a partially torn MCL. And basically the doctor said you have a choice to fight or not. You know, you could risk re-damaging it. And if you can handle the pain, go for it. He didn't want to handle the pain. He pulled out. They put a replacement guy in and he got choked out in a matter of probably 30 seconds to a really good fighter on Volkanovski's team that actually had two brothers in the Ultimate Fighter previously. So it comes from a fighter family. But now we're in the fun stuff. We're in the quarterfinals. They put up the matchups. It's going to be fun. Uh, it's just nice to have the Ultimate Fighter back. And, you know, we'll see these guys that come through here, the top performers in the show in the UFC in the next few years. And I'm sure they'll be good fighters because most of the fighters I, I pick in, our, in the cards to di dive into are Contender Series or Ultimate Fighter alums. This one kind of caught me by surprise. Omari Akhmedov, the heavyweight that had just lost his recent fight, always consistently in the top 15, just shows the rankings don't mean ish. Um, you know, he, he's a grappler first, and um, with that loss, Dana White said, see you later. So he is no longer in the rankings. The other two Sergeys, S-E-R-G-H-E-I and S-E-R-G-E-I, move up to 14 and 15 in the heavyweight rankings. Uh, Phil Haas and Darren Wynn rescheduled. They'll be added to a fight card here pretty soon. Um, basically adding to the card because there's been some pullouts. And then Connor obviously had to talk about this, braming the stress fractures before the fight. Hey, man, you lost. It is what it is. I know you're trying to keep your brand relevant, but if it was that big of a deal, then don't fucking fight the fight, right? Reschedule it. You guys still would have fought later on down the road. Um, I just don't understand this. It's just always an excuse. Well, if it wasn't this or this or that or this, well, how about if, um, when you fought, um, God, what the hell is his name? I'm blanking on his name. I talk about this all the time. Let's see. Uh, the rest. Oh, Chad Mendez. How about when you fought Chad Mendez on short notice? Um, and he gassed out, you would have lost that fight and never had a career. So cut the fucking bullshit. The what ifs, the end the all the butts you got your ass beat and supposedly dustin wants to beat that ass again anyway so it is what it is but let's talk last week's ufc apex or ufc vegas 31 card i went five and eight in picks this week a little bit better than last week i lost my first fight on the parlay the figueredo brother that was a little bit of a bummer um, but yeah, first fight in the early or in the prelims, we had Malcolm Gordon unanimous decision over Francisco Figueredo, the brother of Divison, both in the flyweight division. Um, you know, this was a back and forth fight. It was, it was a fun fight. Gordon was able to outlast some of Figueredo's control early in the fight. Um, I thought Figueredo at least won round one or two though. So the unanimous decision again, I don't really follow that, but I guess he had enough control time on the ground. Uh, Gordon landed 100 total strikes and 46 of those significant to Francisco's 52 total strikes. And they both had two takedowns while Figueredo had a reversal. 
Um, towards the later in the fight, Gordon looked like the bigger fighter. Once he had top position, you know, Figueredo did his best to roll over that, get a submission attempt. Uh, but clearly, Gordon had more strikes, a lot of that coming from the top position, right? Just breaking down, doing that grounded pound. Um, but hey, it was a good fun fight to start the card. I picked Figueredo. I haven't seen him a lot. He's Divison's brother. I figured he was going to be good enough to handle Malcolm X, nicknamed X Gordon. Uh, but he didn't get the job done, so my parlay was done early, and I didn't have to stress about it. Um, from here, Gordon should get a fight over around the top 15 in the flyweight division. I would like to see him against Tyson Nam, who has that nasty left hand, or Matt Schnell, who I've thought pretty highly of as well. What sets us up, we had Amanda Lemos with the first-round knockout over at Monstrat Ruiz. Man, was Lemos's power on full display as she landed a straight one-two and just sat Ruiz down. I mean, almost instantly. Uh, Ruiz seems to be a tough fighter, but Lemos is just that high level compared to her. She stays at number 14 in the rankings as Ruiz wasn't a ranked opponent. Uh, but I would like to see her fight some higher-level competition. I think she's ready for that. Somebody like a Nina Nunez or Amanda Ribas. Uh, she's now on a four-fight win streak and at 34 should have a quick turnaround as she's looking to climb up the ladder. And since she is already in her pretty much mid-30s, I would assume she'd want to do that sooner than later. But she was looking pretty powerful and a lot like she didn't belong in the octagon with Ruiz. And then we had Daniel Rodriguez with the first round TK over Preston Parsons. You know, Rodriguez, as I expected, clearly looked like the better fighter. You know, he's fought better competition, been in the UFC longer. And he now goes to a two-fight win streak, and he has won five of his last six since entering the UFC. Rodriguez landed 46 total strikes compared to Parsons' 24. And as I mentioned, him potentially fighting Omari Akhmedov for his next bout to get into the top 15. But Akhmedov got cut. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But Daniel looked great. And I a fight against Miguel Baeza or Elizu Zaliski would be a good fight. Uh, Miguel Baeza, we had dove into and watched him fight recently. looked pretty sharp. Um, I would expect to see Daniel back before the end of the year, though, as he looks to make a run at the UFC at 34 years old, much like Lemos. Right, He's won five of his six in the UFC. He's 34 years old. He came out of there without damage. I would assume he comes back before the end of the year and looks to keep adding to that to move up the ranks. And then my guy, Billy Corintillo, with the third-round TKO over Gabriel Benitez. Corintillo was all over Benitez out of the gate. That's for sure. Uh, he almost had an early finish, but was finally able to get the job done in the third. He had to grind through that. Um, was in control either on the ground or on their feet pretty much the whole fight. Uh, he was clearly the quicker and stronger fighter as he landed 179 total strikes and 100 of those significant compared to Gabriel's 67 total strikes and 57 significant. Um, to add on that, Billy also had three takedowns. So Billy didn't do do well on the ground, but couldn't, uh, excuse me, Billy did well on the ground, but he couldn't quite capitalize on it as most of his damage came while standing. Um, this now gives Quarantillo a new win streak, and he also has five wins out of his last six fights in the UFC. So a good next matchup maybe a Julian Arosa or Herbert Burns, brother of Gilbert Burns. I think these would be stellar fights and would be fun to watch for fight fans everywhere. So Sean Shelby, Dana White, make it happen. Uh, we had Matsu's Gamrot with the first round submission over Jeremy Stevens. 
Even if I wouldn't have lost that first fight in my parlay, I would have lost this one anyways. You know, there's not a lot to talk about for this fight as Gamrot really went for that takedown quickly and got Stevens. Stevens is back to finish with the Kamara submission. And Gamrot is now right outside the top 15 in a very stacked division, but isn't going to be able to take the other guys down to submit them, right? He has really, there's really good wrestlers in this, in this class. And at 35 years old, Steven's ceiling isn't very high, but is usually a fun fighter to watch. I usually root for him. He called out Conor McGregor. Highly doubt that'll ever happen. Um, if you don't know, he's in the lightweight division. But um, I think Gamrot versus Brad Riddell or Tiago Moises, who just lost, uh, would be a fun fight for sure. Misha Tate back in the octagon. And boy, did she look good. She had a third-round TKO over Marion Renault. Um, this is a great return fight for Tate, and she seemed to be prepared. She seemed in good shape, mentally sharper than I've ever seen her. Uh, she landed 110 total strikes, 65 of those significant, versus Renault's 48 total and 25 significant. You know, typical Tate here. She took Marion down three times and was able to grind her out, tire her out for the finish. Uh, Marion Renault, she is retiring, 44 years old. Props to her for fighting in her 40s, so we won't see her again. But Tate now has a win in her first fight since 2016. Can't believe she's back. Uh, she had two losses in a row before she left against very good competition. And that now puts her at number eight in the rankings. I would love a fight versus Yana who had just lost, or maybe, um, or she just lost to Irina Aldana, or maybe a Juliana Pena would be fun too. Pena's had a couple fights booked and got canceled. So why not put her up against Misha Tate? But at 34, I think she can hang with majority of the weight class. It's probably why she's returning. Obviously, the top of the weight class and Amanda Nunez and others. I just don't know if she can handle the top top. Uh, but I think she'll be able to move her way up the rankings quickly. And will be interesting to see how soon she wants to get back. I would not be surprised if we see her in 2021. So then the main event of the evening. I was excited because there's so much hype around Islam. But I knew it was going to be boring because I knew Islam was going to do the Khabib treatment, right? He had a fourth-round submission over Tiago Moises. Um, to be honest, Tiago did a lot better than I expected. I thought Islam was going to get an early takedown round one, grind him out, maybe get him again in round two and finish him. But that wasn't the case. Um, Islam had 148 total strikes compared to Moises's 18. So obviously lots of action on the ground. But Tiago did well. Like he did well on the feet. That's why uh, Islam went down on the ground. He was, you know, he's a jujitsu guy as well. Was able to move around, avoid things. But in a five-round main event, the fourth fourth round got the best of him. Um, Islam had three takedown to Tiago's one, and Islam also did have a reversal. He is now going up four spots in the rankings to number five in that stacked lightweight division. He has called out pretty much everyone in the division via social media or post fight. Uh, you know, he's talked about wanting to retire Tony Ferguson. He talked about Dan Hooker not being that good and pretty much everyone else in the top of the division. I think a matchup with Tony or Hooker would be fun. You know, there's already lots of smack talk. There's already build up with these fights. And I think that makes sense. Um, Islam is now on an eight fight win streak after losing his UFC debut and he's only 29. So he's not even in his prime. That's what intrigues. I think everybody about him. Um, Moises could either fight maybe, one of the Russians, Demir is Mogolov or Armin Sarkuyan would be great. And sorry if I butchered those names. I haven't prepped it before. I'm not talking to the fighters. I'm not asking. I'm just assuming uh, until I know of them or hear someone say it properly, I'll change it. 
Like I used to call Cyril gone, Cyril gone, but it's Cyril Ganey, right? We just found out Travis Kelsey, who everyone's been calling Travis Kelsey is Travis Kels, right? If you are a professional announcer, especially you ex-fighters, ex-athletes, ask the people, how do you say your name? I would like to say it correctly. If I had that luxury, I would, but I hate pronouncing people's name. If someone called me Shane Gilletti, I'd be like, you don't know who the fuck I am. Why are you talking about me? If you're analyzing Shane Gilletti and my name's Shane Gillette, I'm assuming you don't know shit. Anyways, if I knew the names, if I could access the names, I would figure it out. But until I hear it done correctly and it sticks with me, it is what it is. But that sets us up for a way better fight night card, in my opinion. We have the UFC Vegas 32 coming up this Saturday. You know, the last card was pretty good. There was a couple good fights in there. It was nice to see Misha Tate back in the octagon. Um, but the two big fights, the Misha Tate and the Islam, I expected them to get takedowns, grind out victories. That's what happened. As uh, someone who wants to see lots of action and most of the fight, uh, fight fans, you know, it was kind of boring. I could have missed the fights, honestly. I have fight pass, so. This one, though, this card's not going to be the same, right? We got one of the better Apex fight cards this year. I wouldn't be shocked if this is one of the bigger fight cards in general this year. Um, starting off in the prelims, we have Hannah, 24K Goldie, at 29 years old, rocking a 5-1 record, taking on Diana, the Warrior Princess Belbita, at 25 years old with a 13-6 record. If you've been a MMA fan of Business and Buckets, uh, Hannah Goldie was supposed to have a fight previously. It got um, taken off injuries or something. Um, but how about the nicknames? We got 24K and the Warrior Princess. This sounds like a battle if I've ever, you know, seen one when it comes to nicknames. Uh, Goldie hasn't fought since 2019. Uh, she had a canceled bout against Juliana Pena and then lost her first fight in the UFC in 2019 against Miranda Granger. So looking to build some momentum. She is still pretty young at 29. And then we have the Warrior, Warrior Princess, only 25. Uh, she has lost both of her fights since getting into the UFC. I think stylistically, Hannah Goldie has got the advantage. So I'm going to go with Goldie, as Deanna hasn't done a lot since entering the UFC. Uh, but yeah, I'm taking Hannah Goldie. If I can avoid it on the parlay, I will, uh, because the unknowns of these two fighters. But it should be a fun one. That's why I'm talking about it. And then we probably have the best one. We got Adrian Yanez, 27 years old, rocking a 13-3 record versus Randy the Zohan Costa, also 27 years old with a 6-1 record. Um, Yanez is on a six-fight win streak with two of them in the UFC. Um, he's earned his contract from the Contender Series, and he is a banger. I've watched his fights. So he's a lot of fun to watch. Costa himself has a three-inch reach advantage and fights out of American Top Team, which if you know about a top team, I always talk about it because that means he's training with dogs. And that almost swayed my decision on this fight. Um, but he's on a two-fight win streak himself. He's won two of his three fights in the UFC. But both of these fighters like to throw bombs and have heavy hands uh, for the bantamweight division, which is also a stacked division. And, you know, like these two fighters in some, you know, weight classes would damn near be ranked. Um, but Costa's all six wins have come via knockout. I expect to see a knockout, a TKO in this fight, but I'm taking Yanez just because he has um, been someone I've watched closely and I think has a little bit more advantage with his quickness on the feet. But Costa trains with dogs. He is a Zohan. Don't be surprised if he wins. If I can avoid this on the parlay, I will as well. I think this could be fight of the night, though. 
Then we have Nasruddin Amavov, 26 years old, rocking a 9-3 record versus Ian the Hurricane Heinish, 32 years old with a 14-4 record. You know, Ian is a Contender Series alum, while Amavov is 1-2 since signing in the UFC. Amavov lost to Phil Haas in February earlier this year. Um, Ian lost a very lost to a very tough Kevin Gastelum. We talked about that by unanimous decision in February as well. He has lost three of his last four, so really needs to get back on track. Uh, uh, you know, although these are against dogs, and a nice win here could get him right back into the top fifteen for fighting in the ranks. I'm going to take the Hurricane Ian Heinish. He's got better experiments, uh, experience. He's fought tougher competition, and I think at 32 years old, he's right in his prime. So he's going to get the job done. Put that in the barley, book it up, and let's get that bread. Then we have some more young guns. This is still in the prelims, ladies and gentlemen. We have Punahili Puna Soriano, 28 years old, with an 8-0 record undefeated, versus Brendan All-In Allen, the 25-year-old fighter with a 16-4 record. Allen is a black belt in BJJ out of Sanford MMA, another good training gym that has a lot of dogs in it. Uh, nine of his 15 wins have come via submission, where both fighters are contender series alums, but both fighters have quite a bit different styles. Puna has a lot of power, but I've never seen him on the ground. He fights out of Extreme Couture, another dog gym, and if Puna Healy can keep it on their feet, I see him winning this fight. Allen is going to be looking to get this fight to the ground, and if he does get it to the ground, very well could finish. But Puna Healy's overcome adversity. I remember watching him against Todorovic, another fighter I liked. He was able to take the damage, give the damage. So I just think he has too much raw power for Mr. Brendan in Allen. Putting it on the parlay. Mark it down. Let's get that bread. So in the main card, this is an early card as the main card starts at 4 p.m. Pacific. So if you're planning on barbecuing, hitting the lake, whatever, and then catching the fights at night, you might probably miss most of them. Um, but guess what? It's a fight night. It's on ESPN. There's a button that you can record. I know I'll be doing that because I won't be back until the evening. Um, starting the main card, we got Mickey Gall, 29 years old, with a 6-3 and three record versus Jordan Bomai Williams, the 30-year-old fighter, rocking an 8-4 and four record. Uh, Gall has a background in boxing, BJJ, and Muay Thai. He also has a black belt in BJJ and a blue band in Muay Thai. Gall has lost two of his last three, including a fight against the old Diego Sanchez. Um, Williams has come from the Contender Series, but lost his debut against Amavov, who we talked about earlier, and that was by unanimous decision. Gall hasn't looked great lately, but has fought better competition. So I think this experience and a need for a win helps him get the job done here. He needs to get back on track if he doesn't want to get cut. And Bamaye doesn't really have anything on his resume that really gives me open eyes. So I'm going to go with Mickey Gall here. If I can avoid it on the parlay, I will. Then we have a battle of like young prospects, potentially phenoms in the women's division. Uh, we have Miranda Fear the Maverick, the 13th ranked fighter, 24 years old with an 11 and 2 record versus Macy, the future barber. She's owning the phenom, a uh, number 14 ranked fighter, 23 years old with an 8 and 2 record. Uh, this one's going to be fireworks. I'm super pumped for this one. Miranda has her brown belt in BJJ. She is also on a five fight win streak with two of them coming in the UFC. And then Barber is a contender series alum who has lost two in a row, 
Granted, against very tough competition with vets like Roxanne and Alexa Grasso, who's higher up in the ranks. Uh, she has a purple belt in BJJ and a second-degree black belt in karate. Uh, but both fighters are in their young parts of their careers. Um, they both got wins over a very tough Jillian Robertson. Miranda beat her by unanimous decision, and Barbara finished her via TKO. I think that's the difference in this fight is the power, and I think Barbara is going to be the quicker striker with more power. If Miranda could get her down and just tire her out, I think that's her chance to victory. But I'm going to take Macy Barber, put it on the parlay, check it down, and let's get that bread. Um, by the way, Barber has five of her eight wins via knockout. So, yeah, that's pretty impressive for a woman. woman's fighter. And if this guy's nickname doesn't tell you enough, I know him pretty well, which um, Kyler Matrix trains with Sean O'Malley. I had purchased a Sean O'Malley Sugar, Sean O'Malley Sugar Show hoodie, the light blue pink ones, the 13-0, says the O'Malley. I got a little Jobin t-shirt. Technically, I am a Jobin. I tune into their podcast. They've helped me set this podcast up. Uh, shout out JX, but... It's a podcast I really enjoy, and I get to learn a lot about some of the fighters on the back end from that podcast because Sean trains at the MMA lab with Kyler Phillips, Casey Kenny, lots of dudes over there. Uh, now uh, his strength and conditioning coaches with uh, trains Wyoming's own Bryce Meredith, which I'm super excited to watch him in the MMA world. But Kyler Matrix Phillips with the number 14 next to his name at only 26 years old with a 9-1 record. We'll take on Raulian Paiva, the 25-year-old fighter, rocking a 20-3 and record. 25 years old, 20-3, and that's pretty impressive. Uh, both fighters are Contender Series alums. Raulian got a UFC contract in his victory, although Kyler didn't. Uh, Kyler had two more wins with different promotions, including the LFA, to get his way into the UFC. Kyler fights out of the MMA lab and is on a four-fight win streak. Pava fights out of Team Alpha Male, another big-name gym, and he is on a two-fight win streak. This is going to be a fun bantamweight showdown, and it's a reason that's this high on the main card um, for some young, promising fighters. I know more about Kyler. I've seen his unorthodox nature and the way he flows when he strikes, and I think that's going to be the difference. He is the Matrix. Um, I think he's going to have a lot of you know, potential to really move up the bentonweight ranks with a spectacular finish here. Um, you know, he really showcases potential in the Song Yedong fight. You know, Song Yedong's no slump. He could take damage. He could give it. I actually picked Song in that fight. Um, so this is going to be a fun one. He has a fun style that is fluid and different from a lot of fighters. It reminds me a little bit of Sean O'Malley and the differences and the way he flows freely. Uh, but I don't know much about uh, Paiva, but I can, can't take him after Kyler's last performance. I bet on song. I got showed up. Not doing it again. Take it, Kyler. Put it on the parlay. Check it down. Let's get that bread. And then we have another woman's fighter uh, fight before the main event. We have Aspen Lod, the third-ranked fighter, 26 years old with a 9-1 record, taking on Macy Chiesin, uh, 29-year-old fighter, 8-1 record. Macy herself has a 6-inch reach advantage. Lod has a kickboxing, wrestling, and BJJ background. Uh, she's a purple belt in BJJ. She's come from Invicta and only lost to Jermaine Duranami, who, if you don't know, is very high level. Probably one of the better fights against Nunez. She hasn't fought since 2019 after having a fight canceled and recovering from ACL and MCL surgeries. Six of her nine wins are via knockout. 
And then Macy has come from the Ultimate Fighter. She's on a two-fight win streak herself. And this is definitely the biggest fight of her career. You know, Macy's really tough, but I don't expect her to be able to handle Lad's power and striking while standing. And she is uh, just a better rounded fighter. For Macy to win, she's going to have to do a lot of the Miranda Maverick treatment, take her down, grind her out, find her spots. And I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I'm sure Lad is eager to get back after those surgeries as well. And a big win here could put her right back into title contention. So I am taking Aspen. Put it on the parlay. Mark it down. Again, let's get that bread. And then the main event of the evening. And man, oh man, is this going to be fun. We have Corey Sandhagen with the number two next to his name. 29 years old with a 14-2 and two record versus T.J. Dillashaw or Killashaw. He is 35 on the edge of his prime. 17-4 and four record and one of the baddest men to ever rock the bantamweight division. Uh, this guy, you know, we'll talk about his background a little bit, but um, Corey has a three-inch reach advantage. TJ hasn't fought since the start of 2019. When I mean the start, it was January after he tested positive for EPO performance enhancer, which at the time he was trying to move down to 125. Well, he wasn't trying. He did move down to 125 to try to become champ champ and take on Henry Cejudo. Um, you know, this drug supposedly helped him with water and salt weight or whatever to help cut the weight. If you watch the ESPN documentary on it, he looked like a ghost, like a soul, did not look healthy. Probably a good thing that this didn't happen at the end of the day. Um, so everyone wants to knock him for that. I just watched the food truck diaries with him and he talks about owning it. There's an ESPN documentary on him owning the fact it was his choice. He did it. It is what it is, but I don't think this is going to affect him as a fighter. And I think that he is going to come out on top. Some other background, TJ and Corey used to train together, so they know each other very well. TJ has a purple belt in BJJ and a black belt in Bang Muay Thai. He also was a D1 wrestler. You know, he's always had a good wrestling background. And he was an Ultimate Fighter alum. He is one of the baddest bantamweights of all time, and I think we will remember why after this fight as he is coming back on a vengeance to fight the number two ranked fighter, which he didn't have to do, to try to get right back into that title picture, right? The winner of Jan and Sterling, if TJ wins this, I'm assuming we'll, we'll face TJ. And Corey isn't even in his prime yet, but this is a very tough matchup. Uh, he trains at an elevation fight team and has a brown belt in BJJ himself. TJ should have the advantage on their feet, but Corey has added some weapons since he probably trained with them. And his arsenal has some things like some flying knees that are pretty deadly, some elbows, some spinning um, strikes. So it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. Supposedly on the food truck diary, they were talking about some people in the gym saying Corey used to beat TJ's ass. Some people said TJ used to pick Corey's ass. I don't assume TJ would take this fight if he wasn't confident in the ability to beat Corey. So I'm, I'm definitely taking that into consideration as well. I expect TJ to take Corey down throughout this fight as it is a main a five round main event, tire him out. So he can't keep him at range. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with TJ Dillashaw. I'm putting it in the parlay. He is an underdog. So mark that shit down and let's get that bread. Uh, but another apex card next Saturday, headlined by Sean Strickland and Uriah Hall. Definitely not as stacked as a card as this one. But then we have the interim heavyweight action happening on UFC 265 on August 7th. So consecutive Saturdays with fights again. We're keeping that summer mojo going. But TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sandhagen, you got to tune in. This shit's going to be wild.
Hey, we're still in NBA season, though. We have the NBA Finals. We got coaches getting jobs we talk about. We got Team USA happening in the Olympics. So let's talk some headlines. Pretty cool headline here. I don't think by much surprise, Luka Doncic is going to grace the NBA 2K22 cover. But in more surprising news, so is Candace Parker, one of the best women's WNBA players of my lifetime, in my opinion. But first woman athlete to grace the cover of 2K22, so some... You know, history breaking ground there per se. And I know she's super hyped for that action. Um, For the Olympics basketball team, Bradley Bill out of the Olympics, um, dealing with uh, a couple different things, injuries, COVID protocols. And then Jeremy Grant and Zach Levine entered COVID protocols. Supposedly today, Zach Levine got clearance to go join the team in Tokyo. But definitely some COVID issues. There's been COVID outbreaks in Tokyo. A South African team had a couple positive cases. So it's going to be interesting to see how this gets you know juggled around come Olympics time. But hopefully Team USA has health because if they do, I still think they're going to win that gold. Um. USA basketball also had an exhibition canceled against Australia due to the COVID outbreak, just playing it safe. It's just an exhibition game. They're already lost to Australia like a week before. And then in the last exhibition game, they looked really good. They beat a pretty solid Spain team in that exhibition just to show they can still handle it and prepare themselves before the Olympics. I think there was just a lot of new faces, new coaches, new things going on. So I think that's going to be a big piece. But how about Keldon Johnson? His draft stock has to be increasing as he crushed it in the Spain game. Everyone was looking to give the young Bucks some opportunities. And boy, did he capture. Because even me, and I'm sure other analysts or sports experts out there, probably thought that there could be another NBA player like a Trey Young going in there. Uh, But they gave it to Keldon Johnson, the undrafted player, until the draft happens. And he's definitely projected to be a top 10 pick, potentially top 5 pick after the showing. Uh, So bravo, Mr. Um, Keldon Johnson. Kevin Love also pulled out, by the way, with a lingering calf injury. Why he was there in the first place, don't ask me. But he is officially out, so uh, more openings through the um, USA basketball team. Um, The commissioner announced that the play-in game is going to stay for the NBA next year. As an NBA fan, I'm excited as it helps avoid the tanking issues that the NBA surfaces because so many damn superstars are joining each other on the same team. So it's nice to see that that'll be staying. Um, there was some Damian Lillard trade drama. Supposedly people had announced that he requested a trade. He says he wants to stay. I am again thinking he's going to be like Giannis where he's in trade rumors and people say shit all the time, but I think he, he really is going to stay with Portland and try to make it work. I don't know if it's going to work as well as it did with Giannis though. Uh, Will Barton is declining his option with the Nuggets to try to get a bigger payday. And the Wizards give Nuggets assistant Wes Unsell Jr. a four-year deal to be the head coach of Washington. But let's dive in. We had talked games one through four of the Bucks versus Suns, which leaves us for game five in Phoenix, game six in Milwaukee. Well, game five was another close game. The road team got the job done. The Bucks stampeded their way to steal a game. And it's the little things that I talked about that Milwaukee needed to do in game three and four to win continued in game five, even on the road, which was surprising because myself and Nick were knocking like Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday for not performing on the road, only on home games. And if you look at the box score, I kind of scratched my head because even watching the game live with my friend here, I just got back from Montana. 
I, I was like, how the hell did Milwaukee win that game? Um, obviously, there was the massive Giannis block that people were calling better than LBJ's. You know, whatever. He, he has lots of different blocks, but just the effort that he's put out has been phenomenal. Um, they shot 68% from three, the Suns did, compared to Milwaukee's 50%. A stat that one-sided, you'd think, well, the Suns probably won that game, but they didn't. Uh, Milwaukee did the small things, though. They out-rebounded the Suns. They had less turnovers. They had more assists, and that made the difference. Devin Booker, he showed out. He did what he could. He had 40 points, although not that efficient on 33 shots. And then CP3 and Aiton both had 20-point double-doubles, but the Suns bench had 15 total points. Giannis put up 32-9-6. The Greek freak. Middleton showed out with 29-7, and and Drew had 27-13. and So they finally showed up on the road for the Bucks. That was enough. And Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis doing some good off the bench. Pat Connaughton with a cool 14. And Bobby Portis with nine. Had nice games off the bench. So that sets us up for elimination game in Milwaukee. I bet on the Suns. I bet on CP3. CP3 has been through so much shit. I just assumed last night he would figure a way to get the job done. And boy, was I wrong. Um... At Fisser Forum, Fisser Forum, Fursive Forum, however you want to say it, uh, the Bucks fans went crazy. Supposedly, there's 60 to 70,000 fans standing outside the stadium during the game watching. Um, and, you know, it's their first opportunity at a ship in over 50 years, so kind of a big deal. I love the small market teams getting opportunities, and, you know, the media and lots of people want to, like, oh, the season sucked, everyone got hurt, this was no fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed not watching the Lakers versus the Nets, so sue me. Um, but the first half of this game was back and forth. It were led by the leaders, CP3 and Giannis. Holiday was ice cold. He was one for 11 in the first half. Uh, the Bucks had 10 turnovers, which is unlike them in the first half as well. In this elimination game, it looked like it was going to go the Suns way. The Suns had the lead at half. Um, but this was the Greek freak game as he did everything. Defensively, he was hustling. He was chasing down people. He was blocking people that had no idea he was in the area. He was pressuring them. He made people in the paint think. He was charging at DeAndre Ayton. He didn't know how to handle it. He was Ding up CP3 in, in clutch moments. And he put up a massive game off offensively while also hitting almost all of his free throws, which came out of nowhere. Obviously, there's no fans counting in, uh, in Milwaukee. Uh, but everything you could do right, this man performed. Uh, Drew Holiday continued the terrible game shooting, uh, but the Suns, they looked lost. This is an elimination game. Granted, it's on the road. I don't care. They beat the Clippers on the road. Um, obviously, they don't have fans like Milwaukee, but they looked lost. At the end, nobody wanted to take big shots. Down five, CP3 has an open three. He passes it to Book. Book has an open shot under the hoop. He passes it to Aiton in the middle. Aiton has to take a contested like skyhook type shot. And it's just like, in my mind, I'm thinking, what the hell are they doing? Um, CP3 wasn't there at the end, and Booker kept passing on those open shots. So it is what it is. The Bucks become the NBA champions, and the Greek freak puts up a 50-burger. Camera, I don't know which way here. 50-burger and uh, 14 assists, or excuse me, 14 rebounds. And if it wasn't for the Nets, who I picked, a healthy Nets, I was going to take the Bucks. If you watched my playoff analyst, uh, my playoff preview before the playoff started, I had talked about wanting to pick the Bucks over the Nets, but I couldn't. There's too many guys on the Nets. 
I was close. I was close. But hey, bravo, Milwaukee. Bravo. My favorite thing, though, that's going to be drama. Do you still hire Bud or fire Bud as the head coach? Didn't do very good as a head coach. Got lots of, um, you know, pushback and, and, and bad words in the media. But you won an NBA championship. I don't know. I think it's going to come up to what Giannis and the team think of him. Uh, but interesting situation to check out. That is for sure. But bravo, Milwaukee. I love seeing the small market teams get a chance. And how cool is it that they got a win in front of their crowd? I mean, I couldn't imagine. I remember being in Salt Lake Game 5, hoping to get a win in person. How cool that would be. But winning the NBA Finals, holy shit. And sadly, I guess there was some shootings last night. Um, yeah, lots of different shit going on. I haven't really looked at the news. I've worked my job, full-time job today, and hopped on here for the business and bucket fans. But... We are going to talk MLB. Not a ton happening since last week in baseball world as we had come from the All-Star break and just had weekend action. But Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the man, All-Star game MVP. What a performance he put up. It's really cool to see him just really own the face of the Blue Jays and, in my opinion, is starting to grow and become a better player than Vlad Sr., which is saying a lot. Vlad is the reason I am an Angel fan. If Vlad Jr. ever got to become an angel, I would probably cry. My angels making moves. They signed Adam Eaton, which was kind of weird. They also called up prospect Brandon Marsh, not Joe Adele. So Joe Adele still sits in the, in the minors while he crushes home runs. And Brandon Marsh gets a shot at major leagues. Did pretty good over the, the weekend and, and the past two games against the A's. And then Adam Eaton gets another chance as the, the White Sox cut him. The first all-women's MLB broadcast team yesterday with five women on the team uh, for the Rays and Orioles game, and it was on YouTube TV. Really cool feat for women in sports and sports media to be able to do that. And then the first game back that was supposed to happen on Thursday postponed because of COVID. The Yankees battling some COVID issues, which made me a little worried for the second half. But that Friday, all the action happening on time, no COVID cancellations. Um, the Blue Jays are back in Toronto officially at the end of the month. I'm sure they're going to be excited about that. I don't know how that'll affect Vlad Jr.'s numbers as he's out there in Buffalo cranking, um, but it'll be nice for Canada to have their team back. Lance Lynn getting a two-year extension with the White Sox. He has been their ace and probably one of the best teams in baseball, even though all the injuries and adversity they've had to come through. And then Alex Reyes with the saves record, converting the first 24 saves of his career. What a fucking start. We all knew this guy could have, you know, throws gas as a prospect, but he is 22 for 22 and saves this season. We'll see if he can keep it up the rest of the second half. Shohei Otani donating his derby winnings, which is 150K in total, to Angel staffers. They cut out checks to the Angel staff for thanks and gratitude. How do you not like this man? Stephen A. Smith, I don't know what the hell you were thinking, but this guy just doesn't do anything wrong. Amazing. Standings update. Only one of note since we talked about it literally with only a weekend series of action happening. But Tampa Bay is only one game back from Boston now, but everything else is pretty much uh, at the same place after the weekend. What set us up, so last weekend's matchups, the Mariners defeated the Angels 2-1 to again. My Angels just can't get their shit together. Mike Trout come back ASAP. Uh, he was running on the field, so he's close. Supposedly, Upton's got a... Uh, uh, is doing some AAA action, coming back for health. 
Then we're going to put Trout in um, some rehab games as well. So the Angels are getting close, but um, Anthony Rendon is supposed to be out for a while. The Yankees beat the Red Sox 2-1 to as they start gaining momentum. Uh, had a big series win against the Astros before the break. Now the Red Sox, so it will be interesting to see how this plays out. They smashed a ton of home runs yesterday. Uh, the Brewers sweep the Reds and outscore them 21-10 to in the three games. The Rays beat the Braves 2-1. to The White, I love that ALNL, right? Let's go AL. Um, White, which the AL won the All-Star game too, so whoop-whoop. Um, the White Sox beat the Astros in a powerhouse matchup 2-1. to those damn Sox just keep on winning. I think that I had them in the ALCS against the Yankees, but picked the Yankees, so I'll have to double-check that. But, yeah, White Sox on a tear. Um, the Cardinals beating the Giants 2-1 to in a big series to keep the St. Louis wildcard hopes alive. I talked with Nick about this last week because he is a Giants fan. And then the Indians beating the Athletics in a wildcard hopeful series 2-1. to So what's up this week? Well, this week we got Braves versus Phillies, that big NL East divisional battle. Uh, Red Sox versus Yankees again. If you haven't had enough, well, guess what? You get it again. Uh, Cardinals versus Reds. Rays versus Indians, two, two big AL-NL series for wild card positioning. Blue Jays versus Mets. And White Sox versus Brewers, two fun AL-NL battles. I actually realized I didn't note which was a Sunday night baseball game, so I'm going to tune in real quick. Sunday night, White Sox, Brewers. At least it's not Yankees, Red Sox again. Uh, a fun Sunday night action. And then A's versus Mariners. Both teams close in the division, close in the wild card rankings. That'll be a doozy. But outside the NFL, the NHL is over. But tonight is the NHL expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken. Uh, there's been previews of, of the players they're looking at or might be drafting. Uh, but I can't wait to see what they're all about because the company I work for is a big sponsor for them. And I'll definitely be at some games. If they snag some players that I like, you know, maybe I could root for them. Uh, Lionel Messi not coming to MLS if you're an MLS fan. He signs a five-year deal with Barcelona. Although a lot smaller than his original deal, he stays with Barcelona. Um, Isaiah Coburn announces he will be returning to Illinois for his junior year. He is the reason I didn't pick Baylor to win it. I thought he would be too big of a force down low and Illinois would beat Baylor. Uh, but yeah, this guy returning is going to be scary. I can't wait to see what's around him on the Illinois team, as I'm sure they'll be back in the tournament. Coco Goff out of the Olympics with COVID. Uh, there was a swimmer that's deaf that got rejected to bring her mother with her to help guide her through Tokyo and countries never, never been. They got rejected, so she pulled out as well. Um, Team USA soccer beating Canada in the CONCACAF group stage 1-0 and they scored the goal in the first 30 seconds and boy did that help because they were pretty much dominated on shots on goal the rest of the game and Canada definitely had the ball on their side of the field most of the game but huge win for Team USA my friend and I are talking about potentially going to the gold game in Vegas if things keep playing out in the favor so uh, interesting to watch. How cool would that be? Team USA gold CONCACAF game in Vegas in the Death Star Allegiant Stadium. I'm all about it. Uh, Michael Phelps joining the Olympics analyst table. Um, going to be interesting to see what he can offer as an analyst, but uh, everyone loves Mike, Michael Phelps and loves tuning in, so that'll be interesting. I'm not a big wrestling fan, but John Cena and Goldberg returning. I saw this on the internet. Made me feel like a little kid again. That's crazy, and I'm sure wrestling fans are going crazy, as I guess John Cena is going to be doing it for a while. Uh, Maria Taylor leaving ESPN. 
Um, they supposedly couldn't come to a deal, and there's rumors that she's going to sign with NBC Sports, but more um, sports-famous talking heads on the move and getting out of the ESPN dungeon. I have a non-story story this week. This is a very fun one. 12-year-old Guy Curie, the first to land a 1080 on a traditional vert ramp. He's from Brazil. Um, he got to do it while Tony Hawk was there, who did the first 900. That was a big deal. 12 years old, doing a 1080. That's wild. I don't know who his parents are, but props to you. I don't know if I could allow my little kid to be skating on some high vert ramps, but really cool feet. That's my non-story story. Don't forget, Fueled Supplements for keeping us going. Next week, we'll talk about the TJ Dillashaw fight, more NFL news. I might start going through some lists, ranking positions, ranking teams, ranking fun NFL things. Uh, NBA Finals is over, but there's going to be the draft and lots of offseason drama because that's the NBA in today's world. And MLB will probably start diving more into that. If you have topics you want me to dive deep into or cover, email, social medias, comment on the YouTube. I don't care. But hey, Thanks for tuning in. We will see you episode 36 next week.